Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Dave, welcome back to The Boiling Point. Once again, you and I are not in the same studio. We're not in the same... Imagine that. It's, a, it's, it's like we're getting used to this now. So you're back in St. John at the Ripple Effect uh, Hemmings House voiceover booth. And I am yet again at uh, my friends at uh, Village Sound in Halifax. And just because the way, it, the way it goes, you know, we're always on the road. You're on the road. I'm on the road. And uh, But you're on the, the road a lot, buddy. I mean, you you have been, uh, I've been, I've been able to show up in, in the St. John studio. And I've been missing you, though, man. I got to be honest. I think that you are definitely a better human than I am these days. For uh, for being committed to being in St. John, <laughs> and so l- listen, this is a very exciting day for me because uh, I'm going to introduce you to somebody who I'm very close with, but uh, really had a, a big impact in my life because of uh, an intersection uh, that happened between him and I about I don't know five years ago that that pulled us into this really interesting direction, which resulted in a TV series that we did called Cubicle to the Cage. Yes. Which I'm not too sure. Have you have you seen much of that day? I've seen I, I've seen enough to be knowledgeable, but not um, not. I need to see more. So this will help. Okay. Well, uh, it's a phenomenal show, and uh, you know who, who am I to say it's a phenomenal show? It is a phenomenal show. Uh, but we're we're gonna pull, pull Boyd in not because of only Cubicle to the Cage, but because of uh, the type of person this guy is. He gets involved in so many different interesting things, and one of the things about this podcast from Boiling Point is we talk to entrepreneurs, movement makers, and disruptors. I see Boyd as a movement maker. This guy is always jumping into into new little movements that inspire other people, and this is what I think is so cool about this guy. So, Boyd, hey, Char- hey, Greg, before you bring Boyd in, maybe yeah. maybe for the listeners who aren't familiar, I know you're not you're you're under promoting right now, but not even from a promotion standpoint, but just for context, explain to the listeners the whole you know the the show Cubicle Cage. So Cubicle the Cage followed a group of ordinary, average, uh, what we like to call uh, couch armchair athletes, I think is what we were calling, people who were fans of mixed martial arts and MMA, uh, but never really thought that they could actually try it, you know? So we follow a group of these people over a period of 12 to 14 months and actually train them to become professional MMA fighters. Dick, you uh, you trained them yourself. I personally was uh, the one responsible for training all these guys to, to <laughs> kick some major butt, you know? Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a really incredible show and really it's got nothing to do with fighting it's got everything to do with uh, life transformation and cool. uh, it's yeah uh, if you, you can check it out at uh, cubiclethecage.com uh, Boyd welcome to the podcast thank you sir glad to be here the other thing, uh, as a quick uh, introduce, uh, introduction for you, Boyd, is uh, uh, Boyd Sharp is also a podcaster, so we've got uh, we've got some high standards to live up to here, Dave. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm feeling the pressure, actually, but I hear you're a great guy, Boyd, so um, that's you'll be very kind to us, I'm sure. 
I'm, I'm glad that a few positive things that I've done have uh, managed to drown out the many, many <laughs> mistakes uh, that, I, that I've made over the years. A humble guy <laughs> as well. I love it. I love it. Listen, but w- w- why don't you do an introduction void for uh, for Dave and also for everybody who's listening? Because, for you know, you are one of the most interesting friends that I have. And why don't you just rewind back? I want to hear a little bit about the uh, the chicken coop in your basement, the uh, the wooden boat you tried to build, all these crazy little things that, that make you you. And. Uh, uh, yeah. So you basically, you want to tell me? Uh, I want you want me to tell uh, the story of everything I've done that has pissed off my wife. Uh, that that would be a great way to start. <laughs> you got it. And and for the record, Boyd is still married, and uh, that's a, that's a feat in itself, yes. right there. Go, well go for it, Boyd. Well, I I, I guess um, a really important part of the story is uh, I grew up in a, uh, a rural part of uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, a little town called Upper Island Cove. Um, I was. Um, I guess an unusual kid, a geeky kid, a kid who didn't really fit in. Uh, I definitely had very close friends, and, and there's many of them are still my friends today. But I always felt like uh, I never quite belonged in any one clique, in any one group. Uh, I wasn't a jock, but I played sports. Uh, I wasn't a, a math nerd, but I but I, I liked uh, learning and challenging myself academically. But I never really felt like I fit in anywhere. So I tend to bounce around a lot with my activities. And when I went off to university, um, I uh, did a um, my first uh, degree was in uh, theater arts. And then I did an education degree, and I remember having a conversation with my father one day, and he said, uh, so do you think you're, you're going to be able to make a career of teaching? And I thought about it for a minute, and, and without really thinking, I said, what I would like to do is to have uh, at least 10 jobs across five completely different careers over the next 30 years. And my father, who was a uh, sort of a lifetime government employee, got the gold watch, um, all about uh, security and, and, and safety, just looked at me like I was completely insane that I would <laughs> invest time into a career and then just walk away from it. And uh, I, I have kind of followed, uh, followed that, uh, whether it was intentional or not. I started out as a teacher. I taught for six years. Uh, I then retrained in the IT field. And I was a, a web designer and then a systems analyst and a technical analyst for a number of years and then I retrained again and uh, I've been in project management for about four years now and then uh, Greg was kind enough to invite me into his world and I actually got to uh, produce uh, the Cubicle to the Cage television series with him and that opened up opened up a whole other world of opportunity to me so uh, yeah it's uh, it's been a hell of a ride and that's not even uh, getting into the stuff about the uh, chickens and boats built in the basement. <laughs> well I, I think it goes uh, so well with, with who you are Boyd about you grasp onto thing onto projects and you pretty much become an A plus player at every single thing that you do and because you're well, not going to quit I, until, I don't know, until I, don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with I become an A plus player uh, many people would say I'm a, uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none but I, I definitely like to throw myself into things as intensely as I possibly can for as long as I can maintain my focus on that and once the passion is gone then I really feel that uh, it, it it's not a good idea for me to continue it. I need to find something else because it doesn't do justice to the other people who are involved in the project if I'm there just half-assing it. I would rather uh, shake the hands, uh, say it was really nice working with you folks, and move on to what uh, what inspires me next. 
And Dave, I think this is so cool because, uh, you know, Boyd is an entrepreneur at heart. He's uh, he's not necessarily an entrepreneur building businesses right now, but uh, you could you could just tell by the, the way he's, he's talking that he's he embodies a spirit of entrepreneurialism. Oh, totally, totally. And, I, and I'm, I'm and well, just or just going for it kind of in this attitude of trying, you know, you know, being passionate about something and, and trying to learn as much as you can. And if the passion you know, fades at all. What do you do? You know, you, you find something else. And, and, but I'm curious, Boyd, like, it sounds like your your family was you know maybe a little more focused based on what you said about your dad's career on on uh, you know one one career track and and security and um, I know that's uh, there's a lot of that uh, in the Maritimes I believe and in, in the Maritime provinces right where where does your I guess unique perspective on you know how life should unfold where does that come from. I don't know. I must come by it honestly because it wasn't something I learned. My mom was a was a teacher uh, for for thirty years, and and since retiring, she's gotten into real estate, and she's very a very successful real estate agent right now. Uh, so I mean, I learned the work ethic from my mother and father, who who taught me that you should give a hundred percent to things. But uh, I guess I just I often joke, uh, and I don't know how much of a joke it really is, but that I have ADD and OCD. So I become obsessed with things, but I can't focus on them for all that long. <laughs> so uh, like Greg said. I, I try to become uh, an A plus player. I try to throw myself into something as uh, as much as I possibly can. But uh, after a period of time, um, the interest wanes, and, and I feel like I, I have to move on to the next thing. And it seems to be related to how difficult the thing is. If it's something simple, uh, well, then I might only be interested in it for a year. If it's something quite difficult or quite challenging for me, then my uh, my interest uh, is stretched out for a much longer period of time. Oh, well, and uh, Greg, the birds in the basement is a great example of that. I, uh, I became, you got to tell uh, the story. Sorry, go ahead. You get to tell the story. Okay, so yeah, I became I, I, I bought a hunting dog, and I became quite interested in uh, in the type of uh, birds that that you hunt with a with a dog. Uh, and I, uh, in my research, I found that somebody was raising bobwhite quail, which is a, a kind of game bird uh, in Nova Scotia. So um, I tracked the guy down. I asked him if I could buy some from him, and I bought eight or ten. Uh, I brought them home <laughs> to my to my wife's chagrin, and uh, I built a little uh, habitat in our backyard to house these birds they started laying eggs and we started pickling quail eggs and eating quail eggs and then I got the idea man I wonder if I could hatch some of these things so I started collecting them and I, I built a, a homemade incubator which I set up in my basement and I put uh, 25 or 30 eggs in there and lo and behold I actually got it right and uh, we woke up one morning and found out we had 25 birds running around our basement <laughs> uh, uh, wanting to make sure it wasn't a fluke and that I actually did have the thing mastered uh, I repeated the experiment and lo and behold we now had 50 uh, baby quail in the basement and 10 adults in the backyard <laughs> so yeah that uh, so, took me a while to get out of that one <laughs> how, was, that's, how did you get out of that that's what I'm curious about I'm just trying to imagine this, uh, this. Uh, in, order, in order to protect uh, the innocent I can't give all the details uh, okay. of, of what happened to various but uh, I think there might be a residential area of Hammond's Plains in uh, in Halifax that has a uh, a random population of bobwhite quail. <laughs> the biologists okay. can't figure out how it just <laughs> there's just populated a certain area of 
compound. No, as a matter of fact, uh, my wife and I moved uh, a number of years ago, but uh, just this year we were at a dinner party with people from that area, and we overheard a conversation of people talking about the strange birds that were running around their property when they bought their house, and <laughs> my wife just like ushered me out of the room for fear that I would say something. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, also I want to know how the two of you met. Like I'm just uh, like like boy, I haven't met you, but you sound like a very interesting character. Uh, Greg Hemmings is a very unique character himself. So uh, tell me about you guys meeting in this project. You guys, well, uh, Greg, I, I, do you, I, do you I, want to take I, yeah. the, the first part of that one? And, I'll, and I'll, I'll take the first in. part. I'll take the first part, but I also have to say, and I'm not going to get Boyd to go into more detail, but after the chickens, Dave, he built a wooden boat in his basement. And he forgot that after you build a boat, you can't get it out. <laughs> so they're not, they're not chickens or quails, brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chickens, quails, it's all the same thing. So anyway, I'd say about five or six years ago, and we were working on a, uh, a wrestling TV series called Cardinal Sinners. And uh, this is just yet another epic TV series that we were involved with as far as getting into the, into the subculture of professional wrestling. And... Uh, so Boyd popped into our office once here in Halifax uh, because he was working on yet another passion project, which was uh, an organization called Healing and Cancer, which is a really cool organization that helps people who are dealing with cancer uh, get connected to community and uh, this sort of thing. So Boyd came to see if I could help make some videos for, uh, for Healing and Cancer. That's the first time I, I met Boyd. And when he came to our studio, he saw my editor, Andrew McCormick, editing Cardinal Sinners, which is about wrestling. And he, uh, he totally got turned on. He was like, my gosh, man, I've always wanted to learn how to be a fighter. And Boyd is, you know, he's he's relatively short in stature. Um, he'll he'll tell you straight up. He's always been the the smallest kid uh, at school, and he does not look like a fighter. And he's the nicest guy you'll ever ever meet. Okay, and uh, but you know, as it turns out, he is a big MMA fan. And he said, you know, someday someday it would be really kind of interesting to shoot a documentary about me training to become a uh, MMA fighter, and then. I suggested, I was like, well, why don't we make a TV series out of this? Because that's a little bit more sellable than a, than a one-off doc. And then lo and behold, we we started to see things uh, materialize. And that's where I'm going to hand it over to you, Boyd, because the the story that Boyd's about to tell you, Dave, it's it's mind-blowing. It's, it's almost uh, not human what, what unfolded over the next couple of years after this. Over to you, Boyd. Take it away, Boyd. Yeah, I mean, a very, very, very important part of this story and a very important part of who I am uh, is uh, the Healing and Cancer Foundation. I was actually working um, at the, um, the hospital here in Halifax as a web designer when I met uh, Dr. Rob Rutledge, uh, the founder of the Healing and Cancer Foundation. And uh, Rob is a um, is a, a guy who takes a uh, holistic approach to uh, cancer care. He's a radiation oncologist, but he also likes to, to foster uh, the health of the whole person, uh, whether that's psychological or spiritual or physical. Um, so he he formed the Healing and Cancer Foundation in order to um, to uh, help him promote this view of cancer care. And he would travel across the country uh, doing lectures and holding weekend retreats where people were were counseled uh, for their psychosocial health as well as their um, their physical health. 
uh, I became involved because I helped him with a website. Uh, he said he wanted to videotape some talks. And I, at the time, uh, could barely use a, a point-and-shoot camera. And I took it as an opportunity and as a challenge to learn videography. So uh, I managed to buy uh, an old video camera off of uh, eBay, and I started filming his talks. Um, he really liked the way that that was uh, turning out, so we decided to shoot some uh, small documentaries. And I started traveling across the country with him. And it was amazing. I ended up spending five years of my life traveling all over Canada, interviewing people with, uh, in many cases, a terminal cancer diagnosis. And it completely changed my life. Number one, I was um, constantly being exposed to the teachings that, uh, that, Rob, um, that Rob would uh, give at these, at these retreats. And it was all about uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction and uh, how to reframe your negative thoughts and how to make the most of your life. It was, it was all of these things to help people uh, better uh, handle their cancer diagnosis and, and to give them the best chance of recovery. I didn't have a cancer diagnosis, obviously, but I was able to reap the benefit of hearing that over and over and over. But even more importantly, I got to spend one-on-one -on -one time, in many cases, many, many, many hours sitting with my video camera and interviewing people uh, who were uh, battling cancer. And just the, the, the strength of character and the fearlessness and the perspective that I got from those people just completely uh, turned on uh, turned my view of the world on its head and it's uh, it's determined who I am as a person today that one of the key things that I learned in uh, in interviewing all of those cancer patients was uh, it's only through facing your greatest fears that you can transform yourself as a person. You have to, fear is like the bleeding edge of, of who we are as people. And sometimes you have to pull the monster out from under the bed and face it if you want to get past uh, something that's stopping you from, from meeting your potential or from moving on to the next big thing in your life. And once I realized that about myself, I, I started thinking, what's my greatest fear? And one of them was the idea of getting in a cage and being beat up by another man. Just, I'm a very non-confrontational person. I'm a very small person. I was bullied a lot as a, as a little kid. And the thought of being beaten up was the scariest thing to me. And when I made the connection between what Greg was doing with Cardinal Sinners and this transformation that I, or this just challenge that I felt I had to take on if I wanted to grow as a person, they all came together and that's what turned into uh, the television series Cubicle to the Cage. That is amazing. Holy cow. And, so, and of course, of course, oh, sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, but I was just thinking to myself, so you, so you basically confronted your biggest fear. Absolutely. And not, not only do you confront it, you do it publicly. Well, yeah, I, I think that, that heightened it. I mean, I could have gone off and done it without, without the cameras there. And, and I think I probably would have, but it just, it raised the stakes. So how, um, so tell, having the cameras there, tell, like, can we talk about that? I'd love to learn a little about like your perspective on that. Like, so facing fear, but also this idea of, I mean, was it like raising the stakes or, or being more accountable to it? Or how, tell, tell me about that. Cause I, I mean, I really, uh, actually I'm a coach by the way. I don't think we, I even mentioned that in, um, and, and often we're getting people to move outside their comfort zone and that requires, you know, facing a fear sometimes directly. Right. Um, so and, and, I, and I mean, I like I've got a, I've got a few that I've tackled and there's lots more sitting out there. But but this idea of not only facing it, but doing it in a public way, like tell me what that that did for you. 
Well, it kind of morphed over the course of the project because at the beginning of the project, I was I was very much involved with uh, with Greg and and Andrew McCormick and Andrew Tidby and the other folks who were working on the project on the production side, and um, I was very focused on the production on on making a good television show on on telling a very good and honest story, which is something that I know Hemmings House really puts a, a great deal of effort into. So I was I was very much. Uh, cognizant of uh, of the cameras being there and making sure that we captured good material and that we were telling a good story. But as my training continued, I was less and less focused on the production and I was more and more focused on becoming a good fighter. Uh, number one, because I didn't want to get hurt uh, because it, it is a very dangerous sport. And number two, because I really did immerse myself in the MMA world and I felt that I needed to become a good fighter uh, to honor my coaches and to honor my training partners and to honor all the people who supported me in, in that quest. And I wanted to become the best fighter that I could, not the best storyteller or the best filmmaker. So it, it, it kind of, sh- my focus kind of shifted a little bit uh, right. over the course of the year. Wow. You know, I'm going to just ask another question a little bit off, but you know, there's, there's so much, I, I'm, I'm an MMA fan as well. Um, and I think that, that people that don't know really what mixed martial arts is all about have a lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions, right? Um, what did you learn about being on the inside? Oh my God! I learned I learned so much. I learned so much about myself, and I learned so much about other people. The one thing that people who don't understand mixed martial arts or, or, or haven't been involved in the world, the people your perspective, your percept, perception of the people who are in the cage uh, is probably most certainly wrong. Uh, the if you look at people fighting in a cage and the blood and the violence and all of that, you would expect that the people are are violent and the people are aggressive and the people are nasty and mean and nothing could be further from the truth because you can't train for mixed martial arts. If you have that kind of personality, you have to be selfless and you have to be willing to sacrifice and you have to be willing to suffer and grind every single day for your own development, but also to support your teammates to be able to do that and to do it in a safe way so that you're not always injured and, and can't perform. So you have the, the team involved in mixed martial arts, the team aspect was probably the most surprising to me. And that, that became very, very evident in the uh, series. Uh, and Greg will attest to that, that it was probably one of the most engaging parts of the story. And it's what we get the most feedback on uh, hmm. now that uh, the show has aired and people have seen it. Wow. Yeah, and it's, it's for me as a filmmaker, I could not have asked for uh, a better result in a story because when we started this, Dave, it was a 12 month, 12 to 14 month uh, uh, journey right from the beginning. And because this was a documentary, we could not uh, guarantee that Boyd was going to make it to the end, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he may have, uh, you know, broken arm or, you know, uh, maybe family issues or maybe the coach Peter would say, no, this guy doesn't make the cut. We as producers had absolutely no power over this. So we watched, uh, you know, initially we had close to 200 people try out for this, uh, this program that we set up. Uh, it got narrowed down to about 30, then down to 10. And, and then, uh, f- for many, many months, there was this amazing bond between, uh, the guys and girls who, who were able to continue going through. And, uh, in a few minutes, we'll get Boyd to, to talk about what the outcome was, but seeing these people go on this journey together, 
and you, Dave, as an executive coach, kind of seeing this in, in organizations as well, when, when people collectively are going through a struggle together or, you know, they're in the, they're in the front lines and the trenches together, this incredible bond happens. And as far as a television show being perfect, this one just just magically happened this way. Like you could not have written a better outcome. You couldn't have uh, seen better characters connect with each other in such an authentic way and actually see people's lives transformed over a period of 12 to 14 months. And that's exactly what happened. And Boyd is uh, Boyd is one of those people that actually had his life transformed uh, through this process. And it's hard to say if we could ever repeat it again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we really did catch lightning in a bottle. And Dave, uh, now that I've had a moment to think about your, your previous question uh, about, about what I learned, one, one thing that you have to keep in mind is the, the things that we look for in our daily life, whether they be our, our business life, uh, an entrepreneur's life, or, or, or even a family life, you're looking to, to avoid pain. You're looking to avoid suffering. You're looking to avoid uh, conflict and, and struggle. And we're all trying to have success. And, and MMA is the complete antithesis of that. MMA every single day is about sacrifice. It's about pain. It's about failure. It's about, it's about defeat because you never ever train from your strengths. You always train from your, uh, they call it, um, bad positions is why the way we're, they refer to it in MMA. Hmm. You get in a position where you don't want to be, where you're laying on your back on the ground and somebody hmm. is mounted on top of you and they have 100% control hmm. and you now have to, to have a reversal of fortune and, and get the, the game in your favor. And what, what, one thing that was very valuable for me is I always uh, beat myself up a lot and became very stressed when things weren't going well for me at work. And after a year of training MMA, I mean, when things go bad at work, I look at it now as, okay, this is where I have an opportunity to learn. This is where I have an opportunity to be, to be creative uh, because that's what you have to do if you, if you want to fight. You can't just roll over and, and bitch and complain and whine or give up every time you come up against an obstacle because they're always there for you when you're training. Hmm. Yeah, well, and you know what I mean? And I think that speaks to like when people uh, don't understand the sport, when you look from the outside and you, you look at, like you said, the violence and some of the blood, they're not realizing, in my opinion, the, um, uh, you know, th how tough mentally these athletes are, physically tough, and then technically so, uh, you know, amazing to watch. I mean, it's a beautiful art. Like I say, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I can definitely see how people would say that there's beauty in it, but I mean, that's really, I guess, in the eye of the beholder. But it's certainly um, something to be admired when you look at how much technique there is uh, happening there and how uh, unbelievably athletic and skilled uh, these athletes need to be to even be halfway competent uh, in the sport. And one thing that, that I noticed is uh, if you watch much MMA and you watch much, many other sports, you'll see at the end of a basketball game, uh, guys, uh, swearing at each other, shoving as they're leaving the court, maybe throwing a, the, the finger up as they're walking to their respective buses. You see this is the same kind of thing at the end of hockey games and football games. And You watch a, a, an MMA fight and the guys go in there. If they make it to the end of the fight, they're both completely battered and bloody and they will almost universally be hugging, be congratulating the other team, be holding uh, hands even after the referee has, has told them to separate at the end because there's just such a camaraderie and there's such a respect because each fighter knows what the other one has gone through to get to that point. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, amazing. No, no, I. So, um, so, so you, you, so you actually have. I mean, I want to hear the end and um, you know, kind of how this, how this all unfolded, certainly. But um, but I'm also, you know, I'm hearing you saying like you applied a lot of what you learned in, you know, in through the training, and um, and you've applied it to your life. And so, what what do you find has changed in your life? I'm still working through that. Um, I, I don't really, I don't really know at this point because, um, we're about a year out and, um, in the first X number of months after the, uh, the program ended and after, uh, I, I fought, I was really lost because I had something that I was committing myself to, uh, 100% and it was consuming all of my free time and all of my mental energy outside of my day job and my family. And then when that disappeared, I think I was a little lost. I was a little uh, disillusioned and it seemed somehow wrong to, to just be getting up in the morning, riding the bus to work, answering emails. And, and I just had no purpose. And I was really lost and uncomfortable for a while. Hmm. Um, and I, I think maybe I still have a little bit of that. I, I feel like that there's, my days are incomplete and I have uh, changed a bunch of my priorities and I, I'm trying to set new goals for the future, but I, I don't know if I've really processed uh, what I learned uh, over the course of that year yet. And I know the other two guys that I was, was closest with um, uh, Steve Goodfellow and Rick Doyle uh, have both uh, experienced the same thing. And it's funny because we're all 43 years old and we're all still very close. And I think we're all three of us are probably right now in the best places that we've been in our entire adult lives. Wow. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing, Boyd, that uh, that we should share with Dave. Uh, of course, a few months ago, Boyd, we wouldn't be talking about this because the show hadn't aired yet. But now that the the show has aired multiple times in Canada and also multiple times in Brazil now, we could talk about the outcomes. What's really amazing, Dave, is... Out of all the people that started this program, three people ended up being able to actually fight a pro fight during the 12-month period that we shot. And those three people were three men in their mid-40s hmm. or ne nearing their mid-40s. Mm -hmm. the, the young guys were phenomenal, great shape, very technical. But for one reason or another, and this had nothing to do with our cameras being there, um, they were not set to be ready. There, you know, different things, uh, instances would happen to uh, to not allow them to actually fight the fight. Three guys who knew that if they didn't do it now, they n probably never would have an opportunity to do it again were the ones that, that pushed through the hardest and actually got to fight. Uh, a pro fight. And we're not talking an amateur fight. We're not talking about something dinky. We're talking certified professional fighters. All right. and, and that's Boyd and that's Steve and that's Rick. And the inspiration that comes out of that for me is just incredible. And Boyd, I want to ask you, do you think it's, you know, the age has something to do with that? Uh, just that, that whole fact that, you know, if you were in your early twenties, it might be okay because you, you've got really your life ahead of you, really. But, you know, when you're nearing your mid-40s, it's a different story getting into the sport. What's your thoughts on that, man? Yeah, I think there was a couple of, uh, a couple of things there. Being, being in our 40s, uh, our back was against the wall. I mean, there wasn't going to be another, op uh, another opportunity. It was now or never for us. Uh, and I think there's also an element, um, I think we referred to it at one point as the Xbox factor. It's like we didn't grow up 
sort of living in a in a virtual world. Uh, we're kind of a little bit too old for that. So we're we're just kind of used to to getting our, our hands dirty and and staying focused on a task, sort of a old style process and work work ethic. So uh, that maybe helped us as well to to stick to it and not not lose focus. Um, there was there's another point about being this age. And I'm having trouble putting it in words. Uh, just give me a second. I'm liking this part because I'm I'm 42. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> hey, 42 or 40 as well. <laughs> I think I, I think being 40, maybe we had fewer delusions about ourselves that we were looking to hold on to. If you're a young guy. Maybe you can uh, you can uh, picture yourself in a particular way and not be willing to put yourself out there and be embarrassed or or have to face the fact that you're not who you who you think you are. And Greg, it, it makes me think about Morteza uh, because uh, he was a young guy that we trained with, just a, a phenomenally talented athlete, just supremely fit. He also fought over the course of the program. He was somebody who had significantly more combat training than, than the rest of us when we started. And he was kind of a ringer that we had in there, so we would have somebody good to train with. And, uh, and when he fought, um, uh, he got, he got knocked out, uh, in a, in a brutal fashion and go, even going into his fight, all of us were really not optimistic because we kept saying he, he, he puts on an air of being a great fighter, but we're not sure that he's a hundred percent mentally there. He has a kind of false bravado that he's using rather than a innate confidence that he's done the work. And I think us older guys didn't have that so much. Maybe we'd, we'd gotten some bumps over our lives. We'd experienced failure and we'd experienced, uh, unfulfilled dreams. And maybe we were just a, a little bit more realistic about what we could and couldn't do. And maybe that helped us uh, stick it out till the end as well. And that's, and that's really interesting too, uh, Dave, when you actually see the series, you're going to fall in love with Mortez's character. He's extremely outgoing. He's crazy. He annoys the heck out of everybody he trains with because he's just so sprightly and he's all over the place and he's cocky, you know, and when we see him get knocked out within five seconds, maybe it was a little longer than that, but uh, within seconds, Morteza gets uh, knocked out on his first fight. Um, we've got the cameras behind, uh, behind the scenes uh, in the dressing room and Morteza is destroyed. Like you can see all of his confidence and all of his ego thrown out the window. He was a, a picture of a broken man, you know, and what a valuable, incredible lesson for that young guy to go through. And I really think that that major loss and that kick of confidence actually turned him into a much better fighter, a much better trainer afterwards. So there's so many interesting life lessons that came out of this experience. Um, and one last thing, I know we're, we're running a little late on time, but um, boy, I want to ask you what you think the most difficult part of this process is. And I know as a viewer of this, of this series, what I think it would have been um, in your character, but uh, why don't you tell Dave and our audience what, uh, what the most epically challenging you know, the part where you'd rather die uh, to, to get out of this point was of the series. Yeah. I mean, I don't, anybody who's seen the series will know that it's a, episode four. We, uh, we did a sample weight cut for anybody who's unfamiliar with weight cutting uh, athletes who fight in combat sports. Generally, 
uh, diet down uh, to a relatively low weight, uh, very low body fat. And then uh, in order to give themselves just a little bit of an extra advantage in the 24, 48 hours out from the fight, uh, they will actually get in a sauna and do a whole bunch of other things to dehydrate as much water out of you as possible so that you can fight in a weight class that is uh, lower than your natural weight that you walk around. And it gives you just that extra little bit of, um, of an advantage if you're able to step in the cage against somebody who has uh, less muscle mass than you. And uh, the first, I'd never, I'd never cut weight before. And uh, the, the first time we did it, I mean, it was, it was hell. I mean, you dehydrate your brain to the point where your body is sending all of the signals to your brain to tell you that you are dying not you're unwell <laughs> not that you feel bad it, uh, your body's actually telling you your brain you stop this we are dying and uh yeah i, I unfortunately uh, i completely cracked in the sauna and <laughs> uh, made a, a grand escape and had to get dragged back in by the feet uh, by one of the coaches and <laughs> yeah, i mean it was a completely humbling experience yeah um uh, and it's one that uh, pretty much everybody uh, who's uh, seen the show uh, mentions to me at uh, at some point or another. And it's crazy too, Dave, because all these athletes who are training, like they've got garbage bags on, they've got winter jackets and toques, yeah, and they're yeah. on the ellipticals, yeah. and they're they're working it super hard for like fifteen minutes, and they go you know slam into the hot hot sauna and back and forth, and this goes on for hours. And as a viewer, you're starting to sweat too. In fact, uh, Andrew Tibby was uh, was filming in the gym, and it was so hot. Uh, you know, in the sauna, that the camera blew up. <laughs> so, so he actually used the iPhone to uh, to film this epic scene oh, of man. of Boyd trying to escape the sauna, and Pete, the coach, grabbed him by the leg and dragged him back in. And he, you, you feel so bad for Boyd, I and mean, it just goes to show the amount of commitment. Now we're running down to the end here. I just think it's really interesting that Boyd's latest project was completely uh, challenging himself to this, this uh, year-long uh, journey to become a pro MMA fighter, and he successfully did it, and he definitely put the A-plus in. The, uh, the real fun thing about his current mission, and I don't know if this is an official mission of yours, Boyd, but uh, Boyd told me that he quit technology recently, and I've got no idea how we reached him today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, you know, it, it's, it's been enlightening, actually, because uh, I've been heavily, heavily, heavily involved in... Uh, technology, the web, social media for probably 12 or 13 years now. And, uh, I decided I needed to go on a little bit of a retreat, uh, at the beginning of the summer. I said, I just need to disconnect from all technology, um, with the exception of what I need to, to do my, uh, my day job uh, as a project manager. So I, I logged out of all of my email addresses. I turned off all alerts uh, on my phone. Uh, the only way I can be reached right now is, uh, via text, um, and no social media. Uh, I don't, uh, watch television. Um, I haven't even really been reading very much because what I wanted to do was I wanted to take a period of time where the only thoughts that were in my head were the ones that were generated from my own imagination. I, I don't even want to read a newspaper and have what somebody else is writing or somebody else's opinion sort of, um, uh, trespassing on, on what's going on between my ears. And, um, I gotta say, I don't think I've been this relaxed and this at peace in a very, very, very long time, if ever. It's like the the, the monkeys have, have all stopped chattering and they're giving me a, a, a little bit of peace and quiet. And it's it's giving me a different perspective when I look at uh, how I live my life and, and how I perceive my job. And 
I'm just really, really happy, man. That's cool. You know what? You know what, Boyd? I think you're. I mean, what you're describing to me is something you brought up earlier. Is your the whole idea of mindfulness? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. That's what I, I mean. I mean, I've, I've had experience. I've had a lot of experience watching people uh, training in mindfulness and doing mindfulness uh, training myself, but I don't think I ever really got it. Hmm. I just discovered something. Um, I think the guy's name is uh, maybe Sean Archer. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, he he has this theory that we kind of have uh, how we live our lives uh, backwards. We think if we have goals and we achieve those goals, then we're successful. And if we're successful, then we'll be happy. And that's actually wrong. That's, that's not the way we should be looking at it. We should be looking at it as um, I am a happy person and my happiness is innate and it's not based on my uh, achievement of one particular goal. And if I'm happy, I'm going to be more productive. I'm going to make the right decisions and then I will be successful. So he's saying we should, we need to flip it around and have happiness first. And I got to say, that's making a lot of sense to me these days. Well done. Well done. Boyd, thank you, brother. And uh, for the, uh, for the listening audience, we literally called, I texted Boyd because it's the only way I can get a hold of him. Two minutes before this this interview started, <laughs> and that's the style of the boiling point these days. Like we're we're slamming through these things so quick. We call people seconds before, and it's almost like we're punking them. Like we call them up and say, "Hey, you're on a podcast right now. Can we have another hour?" <laughs> that has a lot to do with our ability to uh, plan, Greg, um, yeah, or inability, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, but hey, like, a couple things before we let Boyd go. Um, Boyd, first thing is. Um, you got to get into one of these booths if you think uh, cutting weight is hard. I mean, I'm sweating right now. But uh, Listen, I, I heard you guys, because uh, I've, I've listened to, uh, I think, almost all of the podcasts so far for The Boiling Point. And when you talked about those first two or three and you're talking about how claustrophobic and hot it was in there, I actually had to pause the, the podcast and, like, step outside for a breath of fresh air because I was having flashbacks. Oh, yes. Oh, it was warm. It was warm. And, and then one of our first guests beside us going, why are you guys all in your T-shirts? You know what I mean? Because. I knew that that the temperature is going up. The other thing is, you'll know this is a, a, a massive success when we interview Dana White, and that's going to happen pretty soon. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a great lofty goal to have. Yeah, and it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, uh, Boyd, you're going to come out of this uh, this technology hibernation at some point. So why don't you let people know how people can find out more about you, more about Cubicle of the Cage, uh, get in touch with you perhaps after you get out, come out of the cave, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would certainly recommend that uh, people go to the uh, www.cubicletothecage.com uh, website. Uh, you can also find some information on um, the Hemmings House uh, website. We have a Facebook page. Uh, it's uh, dormant right now because I'm on hiatus and, and we're just kind of working on some, some other cubicle-related projects that we can't really talk about right now. Um but uh, the Facebook page is there and you can uh, scroll through the archive. Uh, the podcast that uh, I'm running right now is called The BS Show. And that is uh, part of the MMA Madhouse. Uh, dot com um, network. Um, if you go to MMAMadhouse.com, uh, you'll be able to find some of our podcasts there. And we interview uh, people involved in mixed martial arts, whether they be fighters, trainers, or uh, promoters uh, in Atlantic Canada exclusively. So we're trying to hmm. shine a light on what's happening here in, uh, in Eastern Canada. Is there any- uh, if, you want, if you want to reach me uh, personally, you can reach me at boyd at cubicletothecage.com uh, via email. And uh, I apologize now, you won't hear from me until probably October because I'm staying offline, at least until then. 
Good for you, Boyd. You rock, man. Thanks so much, Boyd. And uh, we're going to do a little wrap up and you know the drill. We, we talk about you behind your back. So have a great day, man. And, uh, well, thank you so much, guys. And uh, keep doing this wonderful work. I absolutely love the show and uh, I can't wait to hear who you have on next. Awesome. Thanks, Boyd. Really nice meeting you, man. You as well, Dave. Hope to see you in person soon. Yeah. Take care. Look forward to that. See you later. Dave, yet another epic interview. (laughs) This guy is, uh, he's such an inspiration to me just because he's got so much energy. And sometimes I think that I have a lot of energy. You you do have a lot of energy, buddy. Well, my my energy goes from uh, six in the morning to about six at night. And then, uh, you know, after my glass of scotch, I'm ready for sleep. I, (laughs) but this guy, he continues to go. So he does the 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then he goes to start to train, you know, this whole this whole concept of pushing yourself to points of pain and really, uh, you know, living in uh, a moment of crisis and embodying embodying that um, to actually become a better person. It's it's almost like the, uh, you know, um, what's the what's the term when when you get stronger by by iron fire? You know, it's uh, you know, it's. You put yourself to hell so you can you can become uh, more of a heavenly experience. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm lost for words what I'm trying to say here, but it's. Uh, I think my takeaway is just that is, you know, those pain points in life that so many people run away from, or in business, uh, are really truly the things that make us become better entrepreneurs and better leaders and better and better better people, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, listen, yeah, I mean, I what I really appreciate about Boyd uh, in that interview is um, he is a practitioner. He's He is philosophical, but he gets in and he lives it. That is cool. And um, and I, I, I'm attracted to that kind of individual, right? The people that, I mean, it's great to have the theory and the concepts and ideas, but but it's it's the execution of that and getting into it. And, and whether that is in a project like Cubicle to the Cage or, um, you know, the quails, not chickens, Greg, quails, <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think that is so cool, man. So I, and I could use a little shot of that in my life and, and being more like that. So that's the inspiration that I get from a guy like that, just hearing the stuff and going, Geez, what am what am I not living? How am I not falling through and stuff? So um, that's that's my big takeaway. And and I'm I'm I'll actually you know what I will make a commitment to you and Boyd because hopefully Boyd will listen to this that I will have I've watched the entire series, uh, Cubicle to the Cage um, before uh, he's off his social media hiatus. You've got till October. <laughs> I, and keep me accountable to that please. I will, Dave, because it's one of those binge type of shows. Once you get into episode one, two, or three, you're not going to be able to stop. So be prepared to have an all-nighter. All right. <laughs> Done. Okay. Well, listen, this is uh, this wraps up our, uh, I don't, I'm not even too sure which uh, episode we're on, maybe 15 or 16? Sure. We're, we're rocking through these things. Yeah. And I just want to say, uh, you know, huge thanks to both of our engineers in, in both provinces. We've got Luke at uh, Village Sound, and we also have Tim at Ripple Effect Music and Hemmings House in St. John. And, uh, of course, you know, please go to iTunes, subscribe to this and share this. We really, really want people to, uh, to come in on these conversations and, and, you know, learn and be inspired by some of these, uh, really amazing guests that Dave and I have the opportunity to, 
to talk to on a weekly basis. And if anybody has any ideas for us, for, uh, you know, for other guests or any topics, get in touch with us. And uh, our, our post will, will, will actually tell you how to get in touch with us. But uh, in, the, in, the, in the meantime, you know, you can always find us on Twitter at uh, Boiling Point Pod, uh, Facebook. We've got our uh, Facebook page with, uh, and I think it's just called The Boiling Point Podcast. And uh, until then... Keep on keep that pot boiling, yes. as our producer Matt would say. And thanks to Matt. And Matt's not here either. I know. It's his first yeah. time without Matt. We're, well, um, but, and the other thing is, listen to us. Um, um, basically, uh, give each other feedback on how we've been doing as as interviewers uh, in a future podcast. I like that idea. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Well, maybe I, we're not giving each other feedback. We're just we're giving we're we're sharing what we're noticing about our interview styles and and some of the quirks that we're so we're so listen for that. Been I'm, awesome, I'm, man. And I, I have to say one more thing. I'm lost without Matt. You know, like I'm uh, like where where is he? He has to take care of his restaurant today. I mean, like. What's he that that what? guy's another guy that lives life to the max. Yeah. I'm like, he's producing our podcast, running a running a restaurant, and uh, he's just rocking. So thank you, Matt, for all that you do, man. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Later, buddy. Cheers. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale and to catch up with Greg visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter thanks for listening and remember keep that pot boiling Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth.